verse for this afternoon, which we can find in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 12 through 26. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 12 through 26. <clears throat> who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken, that he may declare it? For what the land perishes and is burned up like a wilderness that none passeth through? And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Baalim, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even these people, with warm with warm wood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider ye, and call for the morning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come. And let them make haste, and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run down with tears, and our eyelids gush out with waters. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded, because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord. O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor lamentation. For death is come upon, is come up into our windows, and is entered into our palaces, to cut off the children from without, and the young men from the streets. Speak, thus saith the Lord. Even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, and as the handful after the harvestman, and none shall gather them. These are the words of this afternoon's message. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised, with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the outmost corners that dwell in the wilderness for all these nations are, are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. May the Lord bless his word 
to our hearts this afternoon. you to read again verses 23 and 24 from Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Congregation, like children, we sometimes speak about glorious truths without being fully aware, perhaps, of the things that we are saying. When we teach our two or three year old infants to memorize the scriptures, we rejoice when we hear them repeating their profound truths. But despite articulating these truths word for word, perhaps our children do not understand the references to events, to places, to characters or even doctrines, nor perhaps at that age do they fully grasp the whole implications of what they are saying. Of course, thanks to God, children can indeed understand the gospel savingly. But the point here, as with the Lord Jesus, that an increase in biological age also, there is an increase in knowledge or ability to reason or acquire wisdom. To some extent, however, it also happens to us, adults. We speak of supreme truths. Sometimes we are not sufficiently aware of the implications of the things that we are saying. Partly we know and partly we speak, as Paul said. And one of the extraordinary truths of the Scriptures, which may become ordinary to us as we use it often, is the knowledge of God. Think with me, when was the last time that you stopped to think about the meaning or the implications of the words to know God. When did you last pause in awe, in wonder, and humility after stating that God revealed Himself? Even more to the point, what do you think when you say, I know God? What goes through your mind as you meditate on the glorious fact that you know the spiritual being which we call God and that He is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain 
of all good. What is the meaning of saying that I know God? God, the maker of heaven and earth. Our passage this morning shows us that not only knowing God is something glorious, but that the knowledge of God is the very glory of man. As Spurgeon said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing will so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, and continual investigation of the great subject of the deity. The verses that we have before us call us to abandon the pursuit of earthly and faulty glory and to embrace the personal knowledge of God as our true glory. Our Lord calls us through Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 to pursue the knowledge of God with all diligence. For in this alone we find our all, our glory. Our theme this morning is the knowledge of God, the true glory of man. And of course, by man here, we refer to the generic term, which speaks to elderly brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, teenagers, children. Every human being finds his or her glory in the true knowledge of God. Let us begin by taking a look at man's pursuit of a faulty glory. And secondly, we will see God's demand for a true glory. Man's pursuit of a faulty glory. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 is a passage located in the middle of a prophecy of judgment, as we read some minutes ago. Back in Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord had contended and pleaded with Judah by asking Hath a nation changed their gods, which are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which do not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hood them out cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. So an example of how Judah turned their back to the Lord was through their abandonment of the law of God. The book of the law was physically and spiritually absent from the life of the people of God. Some years after Jeremiah began his ministry, uh, Josiah founded the book while he was doing the reforms in the temple, but by then it was too late, and the Lord prophesied words of warning and imminent destruction through Jeremiah coming from the peoples of the north. The Lord anticipated in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9 
that the land of Judah would perish and be desolate as a wilderness for having forsaken the law. Because they did not obey his voice, neither walked in it. But they walked after the imagination of their own hearts, as we read earlier in Jeremiah 9. When the Lord asks the people in verse 17 that they should call skillful or cunning women that can mourn, this is a particular picture here. And uh, young men or friends here, these mourning women were professional mourners. That the profession of these women was to go to funerals and to cry in particular musical tones or notes so that the attendance of the funerals could be moved to tears. So these are the type of mourning women that God is asking Judah to go and call and to go and hire. When a beloved one died, so families would hire these skillful mourners to cry in particular tunes so that others may be moved to cry. So such is the punishment that God is prophesying for Judah, that God asks them to hire these women so that the whole people of the Lord should be moved to tears. Verses 18 and 20. The importance of our verse in the book of Jeremiah is big because Judah made themselves the object of God's punishment since in the words of our verses, Judah dug cisterns to drink of the waters of their own wisdom, their own power, and their own riches. And they abandoned their glory, the true knowledge of the Lord, God's mercy, God's judgment, and God's justice. Verse 23 then is an admonition or a prohibition that God makes to the people not to glory themselves in things that are not the Lord himself or that do not come from him. Things that motivate human pride. The word glory, which we find five times only in these two verses, comes from the Hebrew root for hallelujah. That's the term glory. However, the way in which the verb is conjugated, it speaks of a boasting self-confidence or a person praising himself because of the things that he possesses. And with regard to the first indication, we will briefly take a look at each of these items. But with regard to the first indication of a faulty glory, God tells his people not to glory. In this case, he addresses the wise man or the wise man. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. From the context, we understand that it refers to prudence or skill or a sound or a sober judgment. The people of Israel, they decided to live their lives according to their own prudence and they abandoned the Lord. They gave themselves to a life independent from the Lord. 
a life without regard for God's law, which is the guide by which his people had to live. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8. God asked his people, How do ye say we are wise? And the law of the Lord is with us. Lo, certainly in vain he made it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. So God is asking his people, How can you call yourself wise and that you abide in the law? When the reality is that they are not. They are neither wise nor are walking in the law of the Lord. Concerning the second expression, nor in his courage, let the mighty man praise himself, we must also mention several things. Clearly, by this time, Judah was a relatively weak nation. Their strength consisted in their skill to make alliances with the stronger nations. However, if you study the book of Jeremiah, it is common for the Lord to attribute strength only to himself. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 6. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Likewise, God is shown as the only one capable of bending the strength of the mighty nations. Jeremiah 49:35. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief part of his strength. Jeremiah 51, 56. For a destroyer is come against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Their bow is broken. For the Lord, the God of retribution, will render recompense. So God is showing himself as the only one capable to defeat the mightiest army at that moment, the Babylonians. And what? to say regarding let the rich man let not the rich man glory in his riches so a few decades before jeremiah king hezekiah had shown all the wealth of his kingdom to the son of the king of babylon also jeremiah 4:30 god said to his people and when thou art spoiled what wilt thou do Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with painting, in vain shalt thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee, they will seek thy life. So, dear congregation, where do we human beings seek glory? If not in our wisdom or our intelligence, in our power or strength, or in our riches and possessions. Where does the fallen world find the pride if not in the things that we can acquire through our intelligence? There is glory for those who contribute for the welfare of humanity through great inventions, designs, constructions, 
that come out of their brilliant mind. There is glory for those who fearlessly face foreign armies or achieve heroic exploits. And there is glory certainly for those who, with just a few dollars in their pockets, can create financial emporiums. This this same faulty glory is embraced by humanity today. There is nothing new under the sun. And here, today, we also glory in our wisdom, in our strength, and in our riches. So congregation, even though biblically speaking, wisdom, might, and riches are not bad in themselves, because sometimes... And providentially speaking, we might say they are always a gift of the Lord. We still should not glory in those. Remember, children, that God gave wisdom to Solomon. God also gave wisdom, God gave strength to Samson. And the Lord gave riches again to Solomon. God gave these three things to Judah. But the problem began, however, when the people began to find their everything, their glory in these gifts and not in the giver. As John Calvin said, all that we consider valuable must be recognized as received from God. If then all the excellence we have is the gift of God, It is very strange that we abuse his generosity by making it an occasion for pride. As Paul said, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, what does it mean practically not to glory in ourselves? but to glory in the Lord. The Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 34, question 94, is very helpful for us in this regard. That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from all idolatry, and learn rightly to know the only true God, Trust in Him alone, with humility and patience, submit to Him, expect all good things from Him only, love, fear, and glorify Him with my whole heart, so that I renounce and forsake all creatures, rather than commit even the least thing contrary to to his will. So congregation, what are the things that the Lord has blessed us with? Shall we make of them an occasion for pride? Or shall we humble in gratitude? And shall we glory the one who gives these things to us? Shall these things become the source of our trust 
or will it be the Lord himself? Shall we pride of them or shall we go before the Lord and thank him that will make a difference? Shall we be able to thank him even though he may take this from us? In whom do we glory? Who is our glory? Where do we find our glory? Congregation, how could we, the covenant people of God, seek glory in ourselves or in God-given possessions? How could we abuse the generosity of our God? We were foolish. We were not wise. But the Spirit of God made us wise to understand His Word. Remember that we were weak. We were weak even to the death. But God strengthened us to life in Christ. Remember also that we were poor. Spiritually poor. In total bankruptcy. But God took us. And he gave us Christ. Which is the treasure of heaven. Let us say with Paul, God forbid, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Let us glory, congregation. In the cross of Jesus Christ. As we will see, God is not only forbidding the pursuit of a faulty glory, but He is also commanding and calling His people to find their true glory. Thus, we move to our second subheading God's demand for a true glory. A couple of years ago, at one of the Puritan conferences, a young person asked the question, Does God want us to be happy? In a similar way, we can ask, Does God want men or women to experience glory? In our society today, we either glorify man instead of God, or as we are seeing in our times, we deprive human existence of the glory that God invested it with in creation. As God's creation and as God's redeemed people, we have the duty to find our glory, our honor in the knowledge of our maker. And the words, but let him that glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, show us that man and women, men and women, are to find their true glory, their true honor, the purpose and meaning of their lives in the Lord our Creator. 
and uh, unbelieving friend remember that this is a calling for you as well what is the chief end of man as a common question in our catechism Westminster Shorter Catechism says what is the chief end of man it is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever so unbelieving friend if you are not glorifying God if you are not enjoying of God in Christ you are missing the purpose of your creation concerning the knowledge of God we must say that it is possible and that it is mandatory it is possible because God revealed himself in his word God made himself to be known by his creatures. And on the one hand, we find knowledge of him in creation. And on the other, we find knowledge of him in the scriptures. Through creation, we can know God's glory. Psalms 19. His deity and power. Romans 1.20. And his wisdom. Psalms 136. And yet, only in the Bible... Do we have a saving knowledge of God? John 5.39 Search the scriptures. For in them ye think that ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Says the Lord. And this type of knowledge. Is the one that our forefathers. Or that the Puritans called. Experimental or experiential knowledge. The type of knowledge that God desires here in our verses is a very intimate knowledge. At the end of verse 24, we find the sentence, For in these things I delight, says the Lord. These are like the words of a father to his children. And children and even adults can relate to this, but... When a child hears his father speaking about the things that the father delights in, then something happens in the ears of the child. Because getting to know the things in which our father delights is something of our special attention. The child immediately pays special attention to the father's speech. When the father begin to share, begins to share the things that are his delight. So much wants a son or a daughter to know and to please his father. That the delights of the father will always be of special interest to a child. In the same way as God's people, we must pay special attention. When our, heavenly, when our Heavenly Father is speaking about the things that He delights in. Again, young people, if you want to get to know a person, it is not enough to hear about a person. It is not enough to hear what someone else is saying about that person. But if you want to get to know someone, you can actually say that you know that person when you know the things that that person delights in, enjoys. 
And what is it that God enjoys? What is it that the Lord delights in? Loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness as we find in our passage. Where do we see the loving kindness of the Lord? It is seen in His commitment to His people. When the term is used of God, it points to the deep commitment that God has toward His people. Even beyond the demands of the reciprocal obligations established in the covenant. And we heard some of that this morning. That when those that entered into a covenant with God, when they failed, it was the loving kindness of the Lord, His faithful loyalty that preserved the covenant and therefore secured their forgiveness and the restoration of that covenant relationship. Because even though God's covenant people failed, the loving kindness or the covenant faithfulness of the Lord was always present. God's judgment speaks about the way in which God rules with His law as administered with equity and truth. This is reflective of His character. God is a judge. He introduces himself as a judge. And he also vindicates the righteous one and punishes the sinful one. And he was communicating that men and women in Israel could still call upon him to be a judge in every matter that they had to resolve God's righteousness means that He always does what is right. Righteousness is the inward source of, his, of external judgment in the Lord. The Lord could act to restore His people by His righteous acts, or He could judgment, He could judge them because He was righteous. And after reading and hearing this, dear unbelieving friend in our midst, a question arises for you this afternoon. Do you know your Creator? Do you know your Maker? Do you know God? One century before Jeremiah, the Lord said to Israel in Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Unbeliever, the people that Hosea and Jeremiah ministered unto, they were the covenant people of God. They have received the law and they have received the promises. But yet, they were uncircumcised in their heart, as we read in Jeremiah. So, unbelieving friend in our midst. If this morning the question was, what is hindering you from desiring, from pursuing the city of God? The question this afternoon is, do you know your Creator? 
Because if God brought you within a covenant community, and if God is allowing you to be raised up with the free offer of the gospel, with prayer on your behalf, with access to all the means of grace, God is making a statement on his willingness to redeem. Do you know your able and willing Savior? Do you know the one that God sent to reconciliate his people with himself? Unbeliever, what does it take so that you may be honest with yourself? Unbeliever, why do we keep looking after a vain glory? In the words of Isaiah 55, verse 2, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Our passage calls you this afternoon to hearken diligently unto the Lord and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. As Isaiah 55 speaks, unbelieving friend, know the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the true glory. This world, or this society, or this nation, or whatever you are looking for, nothing can give you true glory, meaningful and everlasting glory. You will always remain thirsty until you find Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters. He and only Him is the true glory of men and women in this world. John 17, 3. Here is true eternal life, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Do we know God? Is the knowledge of God our glory? Are we satisfied with the Lord? You know, remember when the apostles went and they did exorcism and many signs and they came back joyful to the Lord. What did he say to them? Do not rejoice because demons subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in the heaven. This is our glory, a personal and intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. So by way of application, dear congregation, let us reflect on a number of things. First, a knowledge of the triune God and of Christ in particular is necessary for salvation. This brings implications for missionary and evangelistic endeavors. No one can glory in Christ if he doesn't know who Christ is, what his person is, 
and why Christ needs to be preached and believed. So if we want that people from different nations or people groups or different places from within our society, if we want them to find their true glory, if we want them to glory in Jesus Christ, then we need to preach Christ. We need to communicate Christ because His knowledge is absolutely necessary so that they may know in whom they are believing. Secondly, intellectual knowledge is not necessarily a saving one. This needs to be an intimate knowledge. You know, as we find in James, that the demons believe and the demons tremble. They have knowledge of who Christ is, but they have no faith in Him. So we need not only to communicate the knowledge of Christ, but we need to call people to embrace a personal knowledge of Him. A humble knowledge. A repentant knowledge. Thirdly, be faithful in knowing your Christ through His Word. Know your Christ. Read the Scriptures. Know He who is your true glory. Spend time with Him. Learning from Him. Listening from Him. Worshipping Him. Seek Him in the Scriptures. Find Him. And then rejoice in sweet communion with Him. Also be faithful in attending to the hearing of His Word. And finally, dear congregation, theologians have described the knowledge of God in different ways. First, there is the knowledge of God that Christ Himself possesses. The only human being able to acquire a perfect knowledge of God is the one that Jesus in His humanity has about the Lord. Perfect in His divinity, one that also increases in His humanity. Secondly, the knowledge that the saints will have in glory. When we, by God's grace, may go to the celestial city, our knowledge of God will be free, will be free from the limitation of sin. Fully personal, fully experimental, Theologians have called this the beatific vision. We should be able, we will be able to see him just as he is. And thirdly, there is a knowledge of God that humans have on the earth. God has revealed everything that we need to know here on earth so that we may progress toward eternity. The knowledge of God is everything we need here on the earth. Let the knowledge of God be the star that guides your existence. Let the knowledge of God be the treasure, the most precious treasure in your heart. In this life, in this life, the only one that you have There is nothing more important 
that to know God and to know Christ and that's illuminated by the Holy Spirit and that's informed by the scriptures Christ is our true glory ultimately that is what we were made for to know our God to enjoy of him and to glorify him forever amen dear God of heaven we commit our lives into thy hands and we commit the lives of everyone present here Lord it is a great privilege to be able to attend to the preaching of thy word because this is the predilect and the preeminent means that thou hast chosen to reveal thyself so Lord help us treasure the fact that the knowledge of God is readily made available to us help us to see the willingness that thou hast to work in us by giving us the light of thy word and Lord may thy holy word thy Christ and thy Holy Spirit work in the hearts of everyone present here may unbelievers recognize their thirst may unbelievers honestly admit that the world has nothing to offer to them and may unbelievers recognize the privilege that they have here in this place that Christ is constantly offered to them. May thou overcome their unbelief and may thou draw them to thyself, O Lord. And also for believers, affirm us in the fact that thou art our glory and that everything we need here on earth is provided to us by the knowledge of thee. Lord, help us to keep this thought in our minds in the rest of this day, in the rest of this week. Oh Lord, how is it that we can speak lightly about the fact that we know God, that we know thee. Oh Lord, May those words fill our hearts and fill our souls. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.